0: number one thing don't take advice from some asshole on the radio
1: if you just read the bio for dr steve host of weird medicine on sirius xm 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows opie and anthony and ron and bez you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of a you know a, a clown i've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus i've got the boulder vibes dripping from my nose
0: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio and now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Tacey, my wife. Hello, Tacey.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take to a regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for med- uh, podcast, medical news, and stuff you can buy. And uh, visit us on Twitter, at Weird Medicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse, practitioner, practical nurse, physician, assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right. Uh, Don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. Uh, Please go there and uh, just click through to Amazon if you want to or scroll down and look at all the different uh, things that we've talked about, um, uh, nutritional supplements that actually do something and uh, devices that actually do things. Um, uh, All of those things are down there at Stuff. Dot Don't forget tweakedaudio.com. Offer code FLUID for 33% off the best earbuds for the price. And if you want to lose weight with me and with Tacy, because she's doing it too now, at noom.doctorsteve.com. N N-O-O-M O O com for 20% off. Uh, if you decide to do it, it's only a three month program. It's not a diet, it's a psychology program. And uh, you get two weeks free if you want to try it. You get a counselor. You get a group. You get a group counselor. It's awesome. Noom.drsteve.com. And if you want archives of the show for 30 bucks, you get a 32-gig uh, thumb drive with about 20 gigs worth of material on it uh, that goes all the way back to the very first podcast. And you can get that at drsteve.com. It's in the middle of the page. All right. Um, let's see. Okay, hey, don't forget to check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net and uh, check out our website at drsteve.com. So, we had uh, some people complaining. Well, some people, one person complained to me, sent me an email that just said arg enough already about the COVID 19
2: i kind of agree with him and i don't disagree but, but i cannot find other articles i can't do it and then the questions we get are mostly COVID too it's just it's or we could talk about mergers between health organizations but <laughs> that's no, not you. interesting so yeah. well neither is it's just the world we live in right now yeah
0: well so i i did put out a um Uh, a a poll on Twitter, and you can follow our Twitter at Weird Medicine. But said, with regard to the amount of COVID-19 coverage on Weird Medicine, number one, STFU already, sick of it. Number two, it's okay, but more balance, please. Number three, the current level is fine. Or number four, more COVID coverage. And the current level is fine, hit it at 45% with 27% of more, wanted more COVID coverage. So what's 25, what's, uh, let me see, that's 70, 72% of people. And then uh, 11% said it's okay, but they would like more balance. And only 17% said STFU already. So I don't know what to make of that. We'll we'll try to balance this. I think as things move on, you know, I, I'm now a week into having had the vaccine myself. I feel great. We'll see. You had a, an article about one of the other tests, though, that you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right? You
2: ready to do that? Yeah,
0: we'll do that. And then we'll we've got a bunch of non-COVID-19 questions to do today. So
2: there are people will be happy. Yes. But then in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about the flu and COVID. That's so there right. you go. That's right. That'll be more exciting. Hopefully
0: we'll be talking about favipiravir and how it is the panacea that we wanted and that the vaccine has already been rolled out and everybody's excited about that i'm gonna let me just talk for two seconds about that i've gotten a lot of um uh, uh people online asking me do i think that them that the government saying this thing could be out by october or november is political and i do not think that And you can call me Pollyanna, but I will advise you to go back and listen to my early COVID sit reps where I first talked about vaccines. And I looked at the vaccine uh, phase schedules, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three. And I looked at the schedules and said, there's no reason we couldn't have one by october and i don't know why they're saying first of the year i think they just don't want to get people's hopes up i said if all the dominoes fall into place we could easily have um, a vaccine by the end of september or mid-october so i've been saying that since april so <clears throat> the fact that it's actually happening doesn't surprise me so i i although it's propitious um you you know the the timing is is interesting because it's going to happen right before the election i don't think that they're rushing this uh to get it out to help one candidate over another now you could also say that the that the virus itself is political you know because it came at a time when when we had um the the best economy lowest unemployment in history and a certain person was probably likely to be reelected on the basis of that. So I'm sure that he and his team are going, well, this virus sucks. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I politics plus medicine equals politics. Uh, this is not a political show. It's a medical show. I, but I don't see any uh, political motivation by doing that because that's when it should have come out anyway. All right. Now, if we find out that they cut some corners to get it out in time because they were supporting a certain candidate. Now, that's politics plus medicine equals politics, and that's going to be uh, uh, harshly dealt with after this is all over. That and people who have profiteered off of this, and you know who you are, and uh, people who have used this for political means uh, are going to suffer when this is all over. But for right now, everybody's just worried about staying alive. All right, go ahead.
2: Hey, did they fire me on that poll? Did anybody say, I need to get off?
0: No. Uh-uh. They were saying more Tacey. What's wrong with you people? More Tacey. Come on now. You're sort of the Raina Voss of this uh, show. Mm-hmm.
2: Because
0: <laughs> okay. people want more Raina. She is hilarious. <laughs> she's hilarious. She yeah. That kid is going to be the funniest person who ever lived because she's living with these two really, really funny people And she's getting the genes from both sides. And she lives amongst comedians in and out of their house and back and forth. She goes to gigs and stuff. Uh, There's no, you know, she's really smart. Hopefully she goes into medicine and just a really funny, smart doctor or or a lawyer. But if she goes into comedy, she's going to be a powerhouse. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Okie doke. So first article of two people, two AstraZeneca pauses COVID nineteen vaccine trials due to unexplained illness. Right. And that illness.
0: What was the illness?
2: Transverse myelitis. Ooh,
0: interesting. Wow. I mean, not for that person. Not interesting at all. Um, I can't imagine that that is going to be a um, um, uh, an adverse effect from the vaccine. But let's talk a little bit about transverse myelitis. It's inflammation on on uh, a section of the spinal cord, and it damages the, the insulation. You know, there is uh, nature developed wires and insulation and electrical conduits way before humans ever did. And by way before, I mean like millions of years before. But uh, so what it does is it, um, this transverse myelitis, the inflammation, uh, eats away at the uh, insulation. So now you're getting shorts between uh, trunk lines. And that interrupts the messages the spinal cord is trying to send throughout the body and can cause some real problems. Now, yeah, just sort of a a nonspecific inflammation like this, I guess it could be. An adverse reaction to a a a vaccine it would be an exceedingly rare one, and um, but Guillain Barré is another um, uh, nervous condition that can be caused by viruses or vaccines that that um, uh, you know are purportedly um, created to prevent those viral infections. And uh, that's where you get weakness in the legs. It starts in the feet, gets to the knees, gets to the hips. If it works its way all the way up to the chest, that's why we call it ascending neuritis, Uh, it can cause problems with breathing, too. But the good thing about Guillain-Barre is it often, as it ascends, it often descends back down. And many people who have that will end up with little or no neurologic deficit. But anyway... Um, So but this was the AstraZeneca virus
2: AstraZeneca
0: or vaccine
2: vaccine trial. And they are offering no timeline as to when it will restart. Yeah.
0: So I don't know that they're going to be able to know whether this happened. The only way and this is going to be sound terrible is the only way to know is if they get another case, because it is unusual enough that, you know, if you have a small cohort and you've got two or three cases of transverse myelitis then uh that's a big red flag but to get one you know if it's one in a million uh people were going to get it anyway it's not the odds are not zero that in your group of 3000 people you could get one that would just have this and um so that's interesting that yes. the that vaccine is different than the others too that one is they're they're taking um A relatively harmless, if I remember correctly, adenovirus, and then they're putting in um, some of the COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2 RNA into it. And then that new virus becomes the delivery system for this uh, mRNA that then you will make uh, proteins that the immune system can then, you know, develop memory against. Yes. So um, it's different. Some of them, the one that I took was the Pfizer one. That was BioNTech. And that and the Moderna vaccines are just naked mRNA. And uh, the benefit of this is it's, a, I, I believe it's a little easier to transport viruses that have RNA in them than just the naked mRNA itself. So that's why they wanted to try it this way.
2: Okay. Um, Dr. Fauci says, you know, that this kind of thing is not uncommon at all. Um, the illness may be unrelated to the vaccine and just happened, but you can't presume that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You uh, when you're doing something like this and at a small scale. So let's just say that this is caused by the vaccine and let's say they did a thousand people. You had one. So right now your data is showing you one in a thousand. Now you could do another million people and never get another one. Or every thousand that you do, you get one. So if you're talking about uh, vac- vaccinating 350 million people, and one in a thousand get transverse myelitis, that's not acceptable. So they they again they won't know until they do a whole lot more investigating on this, whether this was just sporadic and just happened, or if it was caused by the vaccine. And if so, what's the incidence?
2: So would your guess be that they will now? need to extend the phase three trial yep,
0: by on a long that time? Yes. Yeah, okay, I think that's so. That's what I thought,
2: too. Yeah.
0: What they'll do is they'll go back to committee, and then they're going to have to decide the ethics of this. Do we continue? And I think the answer is yes, we need to continue. But if you get another one, then that's a, that's a huge red flag. And it's going to suck for whoever that happens to, and they need to be fully informed um, before they uh, enter into this trial, obviously, that this is a possibility.
2: Kind okay, no,
0: All right. Okie doke. And so. So far, the BioNTech slash Pfizer one is still full steam ahead. And Moderna is still full steam ahead. And there are some, several other candidates, too. If you want to look at vaccine trials, uh, you can just go to clinicaltrials.gov. And if they get federal um, assistance or federal funding, they'll be on there. And you can just put Uh, the condition COVID-19 and then the uh, keyword would be vaccine. And you can see all those vaccine trials that are out there. Clinicaltrials.gov. All right. What else you got?
2: Okay. Second article. Second of two. Okay. (laughs) Unexpected results in new COVID-19 cytokine storm data.
0: Yeah. What'd you find on that?
2: Apparently, cytokine storm is not a major player.
0: Well, in their study. In so more you,
2: severe COVID-19 outcomes.
0: Do you have their study how they did it? Can you? Um... Mm-hmm. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> well, I do see um, that was published online September 3rd in a letter in JAMA. Yeah,
0: that's the, th- there you go. So this is a letter to the editor. This is not a peer-reviewed, letters to the editor are not peer-reviewed.
2: And then it says, for the first time, we measured cytokines in different diseases using the same methods. Our results convincingly show that the circulating cytokine concentrations are not higher but lower compared to the other diseases.
0: What were the other diseases? Um, So they'd be looking at things like interleukin-6. That would be one of those. So cytokines are these inflammatory uh, molecules that um, trigger the... Uh, immune system to uh, <clears throat> to do things basically.
2: Okay, so they studied forty six people.
0: Yep, enough okay. of you talking. No, it's okay. good. <laughs> forty
2: six people with COVID nineteen okay. and acute respiratory distress syndrome.
0: Okay, just a regular old um, yeah respiratory failure.
2: Who were admitted to the ICU at Radboud University Medical Center, and all participants underwent mechanical ventilation and were treated between March 11th and April 27th. Okay. Then they measured plasma levels of cytokines, including tumor necrosis factor, Mm -hmm. interleukin-6, interleukin-8. They compared results... Give yourself a bill! (laughs) Are you happy that I said it right? No,
0: I was giving it to myself. Mm
2: -hmm. They compared results in this group to those... In 51 patients who are experiencing septic shock and ARDS, yeah, 15 patients with septic shock without ARDS, 30 patients without of. When hospital. you say ARDS,
0: that's acute respiratory distress yes. syndrome.
2: Yeah. Um, Thirty people without of hospital cardiac arrest and 62 people who experienced multiple traumas. Okay. And then they used historical data for the non-COVID 19 cohorts.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. And, and they found lower levels of cytokines mm-hmm. in the people who are really sick. So <clears throat> I would um, – this ne- this is just a letter to the editor, but it is Im- interesting enough that it demands further investigation because we have been assuming all of this time that what we're seeing with these people is indeed cytokine storm because we have drugs that inhibit interleukin-6 like uh, tocilizumab. Uh, that actually do help people who um, have uh, a severe COVID-19 and on the ventilator. So, And also uh, dexamethasone is also helpful in reducing mortality in patients who have this disease as well. So uh, everyone was kind of assuming that this was caused by cytokine storm, which is basically you have... Uh, uh, humoral immunity, which is antibodies, so the antibodies do things, and then you have cellular immunity, and the cellular immunity are all these various T-cells. You've got natural T-cells, you've got um, uh, killer T-cells, you've got uh, monophages, uh, all kinds of stuff, and these, these, um, uh, these white blood cells come and try to attack cells that are infected, And envelop viruses and things like that. And when they do this, they release these factors that draw other cells to them. And if they these factors are called cytokines and when they release too much of them, in other words, if they overshoot going, holy crap, we're in big trouble. Bring on the guns, you know, like a nine alarm fire. Uh, then those cytokines don't stay where they're supposed to. They start circulating around and depositing on the inside of blood vessels, depositing in the kidneys, and then you get renal failure, you get uh, vasculitis and, uh, and blood clots in the, in, the, in the vessels of the circulatory system. All kinds of bad things happen. And so that's a very interesting because we do see those things, it's interesting that these people found lower levels of these um, uh, of these factors. Maybe those things are being eaten up, uh, even though they're being uh, uh, secreted in high numbers. There's all kinds of interesting science that we could uh, uh, look at. Uh, when you see a result like this that's surprising, it means that there's new science coming. But some people have wondered if it's uh, Brady Kean, and we've got a question about that. the one, Hey, Dr. Steve. This is Mark up in Connecticut. Hey, Mark. I was reading an article
1: in The Scientist where uh, a guy at o- uh, Oak Ridge National Labs uh, crunched a bunch of data um, from COVID studies, I guess, and came up with uh,
0: hypotheses that uh, there was a Brandy-Kynan storm. Yeah, Brady-Kynan. Uh, that was likely the path. And it, it's interesting. You Remember when this first happened that you... We were told that uh, watch out for people with dry hacking coughs. You remember that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, we still talk about that. You know, the, one of the presenting symptoms is a dry hacking cough. What else causes a dry hacking cough? You used to um, know something about that. There are certain drugs like ACE inhibitors mm-hmm. and uh, angiotensin receptor blockers, which are uh, blood pressure medications that cause in some people dry hacking coughs, and what was the cause of that? It was the do you remember why the um, the aCE, kind in, of, the yes, ace inhibitor but... uh, blocked the breakdown of this this yes. molecule called bradykinin, and so in some people they would get elevated levels of bradykinin when you get elevated levels of bradykinin. You get a dry hacking cough.
2: I would have screwed that up.
0: Yeah, that's well. I, I just didn't I,
2: barely I, enough.
0: I didn't do it much justice myself. But anyway, when you get a huge influx of bradykinin, you can get things like fluid build up in the lungs, and other uh, things like this. So this, I'm looking at this article in the Scientist, and this Daniel Jacobson. He was a computational biologist. Interesting. And he's at Oak Ridge here in Tennessee. He was looking at gene expression data from the lung fluid of COVID-19 patients. And he spotted something weird that the expression for genes for key enzymes in the renin-angiotensin system. Okay. So that makes sense because this thing is uh, attacking a a receptor called um, the ACE2 receptor, right? And that is involved in this renin-angiotensin system. Don't worry about all that; that just has to do with uh, blood pressure control. And um, he noticed that the, those um, it, the expression of these genes was out of balance. And he followed this uh, into fluid la- uh, samples and looked at this thing called the kinin cascade, which is this inflammatory pathway that's regulated by this renin-angiotensin system. And he found that uh, bradykinin, which causes blood vessels to leak and fluid to accumulate in tissues and organs was thrown off balance as well in COVID-19 patients. And they showed heightened expression of genes for bradykinin receptors, as well as for enzymes called calocranes that activate this pathway. Anyway, so uh, he published these results And he's saying, look, it may not be just pure, you know, cytokine storm. It may be bradykinin storm that's causing some of this stuff. Now, one person in our audience, when I tweeted this article out, said, well, one other thing that ACE inhibitors cause because of elevated bradykinin is this thing called angioedema, right, where you get swelling of the lips and the throat and they have trouble breathing, and I said, "Well, you're right. That is interesting. We're not seeing a lot of angioedema with COVID-19. Well, we're not seeing. Well, I haven't seen it. I went and um, looked at angioten- uh, sorry, angioedema and COVID-19, and found that indeed there have been cases of that. So that actually strengthens the idea that maybe this thing is caused by bradykinin. So there are some bradykinin inhibitors, and they are testing those." right now on humans. Uh they're, they're, one of them is called Ikatabant and they're testing it in critically ill COVID nineteen patients in the ICU. That's a multi-center randomized clinical trial. And then there's another one testing a monoclonal antibody called lanadelimab in uh patients with COVID nineteen uh viral pneumonia. So we'll, you know, we'll see. Any look, this is how science works. Is you you have one hypothesis and you test it. If that hypothesis is proven to be um, uh, either false or not as helpful as you thought it would be, then you move on to the next one. So uh, they are now testing the hypothesis that Bradykinin elevated Bradykinin levels are responsible for some of the bad things that we're seeing in COVID nineteen. So I look forward to seeing those. We'll be talking about it in a future. COVID sit wrap when we get some data uh, on our YouTube channel. All right? All right. How about that?
2: Didn't understand it.
0: No, oh, did you not? Well, that means did I not? did a, a crappy well, job. Well, I kind of
2: wasn't paying attention either. Oh, well, okay, fair
0: enough. And you, probably I bored everybody else in the audience, too. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's answer some questions. Number okay. one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Anyway, the take home on that is... Still think cytokine storm, but also let's start thinking bradykinin. And uh, should we be looking at things that affect bradykinin levels to improve people who are critically ill with uh, COVID nineteen? That none of this helps us uh, with the patients that have mild disease who are at home that we want to keep them from progressing to uh, moderately ill or severely ill. And that's why we're still waiting for the um, final data on Favipiravir and then the other one that we talked about, MK, whatever the hell it was. Uh, The pills that you can take at home that would be more like taking um, uh, Tamiflu for influenza, okay? okay, to prevent you from getting sick and dying. Because that's what we really want to do. Yeah, if you get really sick and you're critically ill, we need to have things to treat you. But it would be even better if we can prevent you from getting to that place. All right.
1: Hey,
2: Dr. Steve. Uh, I called before leaving my number. I thought it was like a call-in. Uh, so I guess my question is this. Um, I was in the woods, and uh, I was I was going to the bathroom, and I, I took a poo. Uh, you know, so I obviously reached for a leaf uh, to wipe my bottom. And uh turns out I, I
1: either got poison ivy, poison oak. Uh, first, how do I figure out which poison that I got?
0: You don't. Okay, that's number one. The body reacts the same way to poison ivy and poison oak, basically, and, any, and poison sumac and any of these things and anything else that you may— have a uh, delayed type hypersensitivity reaction to, so we call it that, because in the in if you've ever gotten poison ivy, you get exposed to it, and then a day or two later, that's when it, it when the um, itching and the blistering occurs. So it's a delayed type hypersensitivity reaction, as opposed to a bee sting where you end up in the ICU, which would be an immediate uh, type hypersensitivity reaction. Okay,
1: and second of all. What do I put on my butt? This shit burns like a
2: motherfucker. I bet it does. It might
1: poison sumac. I'm
2: pretty sure it's poison oak or Anyways, Dr.
1: Steve, please help.
0: Yeah, so um, the treatment is the same for all of these things as basically steroids. If it's bad enough to warrant uh, taking a pill, then you uh, present to your primary care or urgent care Let's not go to the emergency room with this unless that's the only health care that you have available to you. And uh, they'll put you on a a steroid dose pack. And with a couple of days, you'll notice improvement.
2: When our youngest had it, um, what was it? We put something topical on him. What was that?
0: Most likely it was um, topical hydrocortisone cream, which you can buy over the counter. And that will work if it's not too Grossly blistery, and it's not too big of an area,
2: and it wouldn't be too gentle. I mean, too harsh on the private area.
0: Oh, he got it on the private. Okay, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So potent anti-inflammatories like triamcinolone or some of the really strong steroids, you don't want to put those on your face or on your genitals. Uh, But hydrocortisone is um, not considered a, a potent anti-inflammatory and most uh dermatologists would be okay with you putting it on on there for those. If you've got an, an you know an inflammatory reaction to something in those areas, most likely they're gonna give you pills for that. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. It up. So yeah. So it, it just depends. If it's if it's so bad you can't sit down or you're constantly itching it or it's uh burning when you move your bowels and stuff like that. Let your primary care provider do something about it. Okay. Now that is your son. Should I answer it? Hey, you're on the radio. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. His you ne- mom up there too. Yeah. Mm hmm. We're all up here. Do you need something? Uh no, I'm good. Okay. Alright, you can come on up if you want. Uh, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right, awesome. We'll be we'll be done in thirty one minutes. Is he minutes. leaving? No. Are you leaving?
2: No.
0: Okay, good. All right. We'll see you in a minute. No. Very articulate young man. Mm-hmm. All nice. right.
2: Talk your head off.
1: <laughs> hey Doctor Steve, this is Pauly down in Charleston. Hey man. Hope you're doing well. Years of listening and I finally called you this morning. Now I'm calling you again, twice in one day. I um have been on I've been diabetic for a long, long time. I was on one thousand milligrams of metformin, yeah, twice a day, That's right?
0: Okay. Um. Yeah, metformin pretty standard medication for uh, people with type two diabetes. And
1: for a long time, my A one C's been in the five
0: three to five seven range. Excellent.
1: I recently in January went to a plant based whole food diet, and um one of my goals was to get off of
0: the drugs i'm on i 'm on let's just um for two seconds get everybody on the same page. He talked about a hemoglobin a one c that 's basically a test that shows long term blood sugar levels so um, the hemoglobin is a molecule that circulates in the blood, and so does glucose. And glucose can glom onto the hemoglobin, and the more that you have, the more it will glom on. And and um, blood cells that have hemoglobin in them last around 150 days. So as they're ramping up and then dying off, you get a nice 90 day. Average with the um, hemoglobin A1c. So the higher the number, the higher your blood sugar has been on average over the last three.
2: Well, his months. sounds great,
0: though. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, five point three is fantastic. So, it's on April forty milligrams a day and receive a statin ten milligrams a day. Okay. Um, so he's on the reason. So he's on uh, lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor, which protects the kidneys from the ravages of diabetes. So people who are on lisinopril or other drugs like that tend to get less kidney failure from their diabetes because people think, well, it's just high blood sugar. What's the big deal? Well, it causes kidney failure and cardiovascular disease at a much, much higher rate. So he's also on rosuvastatin, which is a statin drug to, uh, uh, decrease his cholesterol, and prevent plaque buildup in the heart because uh, heart attacks are another way that um, diabetes takes people out of this world. So, All right.
1: My doctor is is fine with trying to pull me off of metformin. I have half my dose, and we're going to check again in December. Good. My question is, I'd like to get all the way off it. Is diabetes a disease state that I Will have forever, regardless of what I bring my A1C down to.
0: This is a wonderful question. Is a more, me, does
2: he even have it now, Steve, with his A1C? Right. So up.
0: he has the propensity so for he diabetes.
2: Pre-diabetic.
0: No, he, he has the propensity, meaning that um, he he got it once, so his body is prone to um, elevation. You know, to overshoot. The the insulin, and uh, so well let's talk about type two diabetes. Type one diabetes are people that their pancreas doesn't work anymore. They they can't produce insulin. Type two diabetics come when the body overshoots the uh, insulin response to a carbohydrate load. So you let's say you eat a sugar cube, your insulin level goes up. As your blood sugar comes up, because that's what the body detects is the blood sugar rising, and then the two are supposed to decline at the same rate. So as the sugar drops because of the insulin going up, and basically that's just a signal to the cells, take this insulin into your, you know, into your cytoplasm, um, they're supposed to drop together and normalize together but in a lot of people they don't do that the, the insulin level increases now the blood sugar drops way 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 below in other words the insulin level is overshot and then they come back to normal at some time in the future and the body doesn't like a low blood sugar situation so in an attempt to correct for that the body will ratchet down the sensitivity to that insulin signal Right. Mm -hmm. So now you have this decreased sensitivity to the insulin signal. But the body, the insulin part of the body is still trying to drive this blood sugar down and it's too sensitive. So now it now it goes even higher and now you're driving the blood sugar down even more. And so the body turns down the sensitivity a little bit more. And if it turns down the sensitivity enough, what you end up with is high insulin levels and high blood sugar levels. And the blood sugar never goes down and the insulin level never goes down. They're both high. Okay, so that's where that's what we're talking about. So um, so in this person, he has now normalized his insulin production Uh, response by going on a lower carbohydrate diet. And uh, through diet and exercise, he has normalized his body's sensitivity. And so now technically he doesn't have diabetes, but he could get it again if he went back to the way that he was eating when it happened in the first place. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, Through diet and exercise,
1: or even if I get all the way off metformin, am I still a diabetic?
0: well in the sense that someone who has not had a drop of alcohol in 30 years is still an alcoholic but i would not uh, you know we're trying not to call people what their disease is anymore you're not diabetic you are a person who had diabetes and i'm not i'm not convinced that we need to call you diabetic Anyway, because we don't label people by other diseases. We don't, you know, you know, call, well, we, we'll say people are copd or but, uh, the, you know, we should get away from that. These are people who have certain conditions. They're not defined by the condition that they have. Uh, so I would say that you have the propensity to uh, get diabetes again or to have elevated blood sugars and elevated hemoglobin A1C again in the future if you don't watch it. But as long as you uh, stay on your diet and exercise, you can uh, consider yourself in remission. How about that? And um, if we could get an endocrinologist on here, they may have specific political reason why they say certain things. But you certainly, uh, your diabetes is in remission. It could come back any time if you go back to the way that you're eating before. How about how does that? I just kind of worked that out as I was saying it. <laughs> Sounded good. Does it sound okay? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: All right. And good job, dude.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other thing is, is that almost. Almost everyone, not everyone. There are some people who are genetically uh, uh, prone to having diabetes, and it's a lot harder for them. But the people who ate their way into um, diabetes type two, almost all of those can eat their way back out of it again, and get off their medication and get back to normal again. But it is—it takes a lifelong concerted effort to do it, and it's a lot of us don't have that in us. You know, it is not easy. All right. My
1: first question. The other one is, my blood pressure and all my cholesterol numbers are, as she described, perfect.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, I asked her. Right. Well, they're perfect because you're taking medication right now. So let's see if that's if I can where get he's going. get off going. these
1: other two, and she's not as excited about that.
0: Yeah. It's it's harder um, now if you will buy a blood pressure cuff, and uh, I got that. What's the brand name? Omicron or Omicron or something. Uh, I got I the know. wrist one. I I saw that. At, um, I was going to have a root canal, and they just decided to just pull the stupid tooth anyway. Um, by the way, if you have that problem and your teeth hurt when you get up in the morning, you're grinding your teeth. And I found at Walmart they had a little box of 16 mouth guards, and each one you can use for three days. It's totally solved my problem. Why am I a dentist? has just been yanking my teeth as they break rather than telling me about this. I do not know. Hmm. But if I get one more, yeah, I know, I get it. If I get one more tooth gone, I'm going to have to get dental implants, which I'm not looking forward to. So anyway. I this. didn't
2: know you were walking around with without teeth in your head. I mean, I guess I did how many are you missing?
0: um, three or four? I guess oh, well, my not goodness. well, I mean i I had wisdom teeth. I had two sets of two, so I had four wisdom teeth removed, and then I've had one, two, three, I think uh molars removed that were just broken. they just broke, and they're like, well, you're chewing too much ice, I don't chew ice, but that was their <laughs> that was wow. their answer, okay. And now I wake up, my teeth don't hurt. I, you know, I haven't had any dental pain since I started using those When I guards. found
2: out I was doing that, my neck hurt so bad. Yeah. It was horrible. And then just a, a what do you call it? A insert. Insert. Or yeah. yeah. Fixed it.
0: Yeah. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. You know, geez. Um, <clears throat> something else. Okay. Where was this person going? My this says... Lysanopril protects your kidneys as well. Yep, as long as you're diabetic.
1: Does it make any sense to be trying to get off these drugs?
0: Sure. So the the way to do it would be, oh, we were talking about getting the um, Om- Omicron or whatever that brand is, uh, wrist blood pressure device. Oh, yeah, okay. Now I know why I was talking about because I because I was at the, the um, endodontist's When they had one, and I saw it, and it was really awesome, and I I've found mine to be very accurate. At least it's consistent. I don't know how accurate it is, but it is consistent. But get one of those, and if you'll do that, your your primary care provider is likely to agree to cut your lisinopril in half and see where you are, and if you're okay, you might cut it in half again, depending on the dose that you were on, and then maybe get off of it and then just see. And it's not going to hurt anything if your blood pressure comes back up to you know, 140 over 80 for a couple of weeks. It just put you back on your medication. But if you would be willing to do that, I think you could negotiate that with your primary care. Same thing with your cholesterol medication. They could cut that in half, and in six weeks, check your cholesterol. And if it's good, cut it in half again. And then work on uh, weaning you off of that. But you need to stay on it. You can't just go off these things and go, I'm fine, and then walk away from it. Uh, particularly given that you are a diabetic in remission, you're going to need to stay on top of your hemoglobin A1Cs and just pound on it if that starts to come back. You know, uh, if you all of a sudden your hemoglobin A1Cs is up to 6.8, you've got to nip that crap in the bud right then. Okay. But if you'll do that, I think you can do it. But it's not easy for a lot of people to do. And, uh, yeah, I agree with Tacey. Congratulations. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hank here. Listen to your show on Sirius XM, I love it. All right. Thanks, uh, My issue is uh,
1: at night when I sleep, sometimes I sweat up a storm. Yep. I wake up the next day. My sheets and blankets are sweat-soaked. Uh, I am just curious why
0: this might happen. doesn't happen all the time, but it does. Thank you for your input. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, it's a dude, so he's not going through menopause. Yeah. So, what what can cause night sweats? Lots of things and lots of medications. So, the first thing we always do is look at your list of medications. You know, think drugs. So, uh, number one would be antidepressants, very commonly prescribed in this day and age. Uh, any drugs used to uh, to treat diabetes, particularly. If your blood sugar is dropping in the middle of the night, which would be fun to do, you wake up, you got night sweats, you check your blood sugar. If you don't, if you're not a diabetic, um, get, borrow somebody's blood sugar monitor for a day, and when you wake up, check your blood sugar. If it's crazy low in the thirties or forties, you've got your answers. Uh, certain hormone blocking drugs that are used to treat some certain cancers, and then the other stuff is um, none of it's any fun. So there are some sleep disorders that could just have sleep apnea. I'm thinking of all the benign things. So uh, if I have someone that comes to me and I, you know, I do a complete blood workup and their normal chest x-rays, all that stuff is all fine with night sweats and their medications don't make sense, I'll do a sleep study on them. And very often you'll find that they have sleep apnea. So uh, you're going to want to get this checked out. Night sweats is a reason to go to your primary care provider and uh, get a workup. There is a standard workup for this. And then if you find something interesting, call us back and let us know what you find. Okay? All right. Hi, Dr. Steve. I have
1: a question no one has ever answered. Uh, The Spanish flu disappeared on its own by mutation. How come they're talking about this COVID flu uh, uh, sticking around? How come it doesn't oh, end yeah. up like the Spanish flu also? No, this Thank is you. a great question
0: as well. So what he's saying is uh, and the Spanish flu sort of disappeared at the end of, uh, what, 1920. and uh, But they're talking about COVID-19, the virus that causes that is SARS-CoV-2 being around forever. And the reason for that is that the coronaviruses, we tend to be vulnerable to reinfection with those. And uh, if you, for example, I was exposed to swine flu in 1970, whatever, whenever that was. And um, when it came back around again in, what was it, 2009, I get the, which vi- virus hit which you're confused, but it was sometime while we were been doing this show um uh I was completely immune to that. That was the one year where influenza came around, and all the old people were were um uh immune to it, and the young people were the ones that were really at at um uh at at the highest risk and so because my immune system was still revved up against that one. But the coronaviruses, the hypothesis is you can get them multiple times. They cause a common cold. And um, my hypothesis is that all coronaviruses started the same way SARS-CoV-2 did. They started as a global pandemic. But 10,000, 100,000 years ago, who, who would know that that was going on? There were so many other things happening that were killing people. And then as that adult generation that had never seen it before died off, all the younger generation that grew up had seen that virus before. They weren't getting sick by it, and, but they were getting a common cold. And I think that's what's going to happen with this as well. Is this
2: like herd immunity?
0: Well, so.
2: Explain that.
0: There is. OK, you know how with, with this virus, babies are getting it, but they're not getting sick. You know, we've had, even after millions and millions of cases, there's just been a one or two, and all of those are tragic, of course, uh, infants that have died from this. And then if you go up through age 10, numbers are staggeringly low. But as you get older and older, now it's a problem. Well, okay, <clears throat> so when these ki- when people are reinfected with this virus, it's likely, if, you know, if they survive the first time it's likely to be a very mild infection that will cause like a a cold. And so my hypothesis is is that when, when all these people that are, let's say, 60 and above or 50 and above all die off, which will be not too far in the future, you'll have a population that's been exposed to this virus. And now when they get it, As an adult, they've already had it mostly or been exposed to it. As a kid, they don't get a real uh, severe syndrome. So it is partly herd immunity, but it's also uh, just this sort of coronavirus low-level exposure immunity that prevents the reinfection from being serious. So when you and I get a cold now and it's caused by a coronavirus, uh, we probably have been exposed to that virus multiple times when we were younger, and um, mind you, this is just my theory about this. Uh, and so we just get a cold. Every, but uh, you know, ten thousand people die of coronavirus vac- or coronavirus infections every year, but they're not diagnosed because we're not testing for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we by God we are now. <laughs> Now, this thing changed everything when it comes to coronaviruses. But um, so as all of us die off, then the people that are old later on will have all been exposed to this virus in the past, you know, as a as a group. So uh, so they will have very mild reinfections and it won't kill them. So, yes, there's a factor of herd immunity, uh, but also a um the factor of reinfection was likely to be mild because of immune memory it's just an idea but now spanish flu that was purely herd immunity you know uh they people enough people got it to the point where it was no longer able to uh, uh easily move through the population and eventually died off so uh let's see here um Pandemic swept through the U.S. and Europe in 1918, killing by some estimates more than 50 million people, began between January and February in the United States. A flurry of people died after presenting of symptoms of headache, respiratory difficulties, cough and high fever. And if you look at the pictures from back then, I mean, people were just stacked into... Um, wards just on top of each other. That's terrible. That's what we're trying to avoid. Anyway, a few months later, patients in France, Belgium, and Germany had similar clinical symptoms. And in May, a religious festival in Spain caused an outbreak of the same mysterious disease. It was uh, considered one of history's most devastating pandemics, although it was dwarfed by the plague of Justinian, which was basically, um, you know, bubonic plague. And they called it Spanish flu, even though really it looks like it started in the United States. So that's kind of kind of um, (laughs) crappy. Um, It it was. uh, Let me see. Um, Yeah. So there are these um, two sisters, they're scientists, and they've been studying the 1918 flu for the past two years. And they find a lot of parallels between today's coronavirus outbreak and the 1918 Spanish flu. Uh, in 1918, people said it would be a minor cold, and um, it played out that their health systems were overwhelmed quickly and such as they were in 1918. And uh, they, had, they did lockdown procedures that were put in place that sound pretty familiar today. Theaters, schools, borders were all closed. Public spaces, including uh, telephones, were disinfected. And in the United States, people could be fined up to $100 for not wearing a mask. And in 1918, it was quickly understood that crowds could cause further transmission. Um, they included uh, hygiene measures, quarantining people and that were in, suspected of being contaminated. My dad lived through this. He was two. He was born in 1916. Um, so there were um, groups... That fought against it. In Zamora, the bishop caused for, caused for a mass that contributed to the effects of the pandemic. And in Madrid, authorities did not cancel the San Isidro festivities. And apparently, uh, the, the outbreak in Spain took place just after the celebrations of the uh, patron saint of the Spanish capital. And a week after the celebrations around May 22nd, newspapers said people were falling ill with the flu. And uh, that incident fueled the naming of the flu as Spanish, even though patient zero was thought to have been at a U.S. military training center in Kansas. I God forbid read. we call it the Kansas yeah. flu.
2: Yeah, I did read that um, the Sturgis rally could be linked to 266,000 coronavirus cases.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. The Sturgis rally?
2: Sturgis, that was the motorcycle rally? Oh,
0: oh, oh golly. You know, and you, they're wearing helmets and stuff with face or, helmets, or maybe they're not but wearing helmets. A lot of helmets. them weren't.
2: Mary wearing masks. Yeah, okay. And they were in close. You know, they're doing everything that we're not really supposed to do.
0: Yeah, it's fun though, but I bet it, then was it sucks, fun. you know, yeah. Um it says academics agree that the end of the pandemic occurred in 1920 when society ended up developing a collective immunity to the Spanish flu, although the virus never completely disappeared. Traces of this same virus have been found in other flu viruses. You know, the the DNA, you can sequence the DNA and see little traces, uh, you know, with the Spanish flu DNA going, here I am. I'm still here. Um, they said the Spanish flu continued to appear mutating and acquiring genetic material from other viruses. That damn flu. We have got to declare war on these damn viruses. Okay. So the 2009 flu that I mentioned earlier had genetic elements from earlier viruses and uh, older individuals were better protected than the young he said ooh now who just said that
2: oops you did i did
0: let me uh,
2: give yourself a bill
0: i will do so thank you ope um let's see here yeah and a pandemic ends when there's no uncontrolled community transmission and cases are at a very low level so that's what we're aiming for and uh hopefully we'll get there very soon particularly if we can boost herd immunity through uh, the judicious use of vaccines and also letting some people who have um, been infected take medication and get them back out into the workplace sooner so that they are um, able to, uh, you know, also be part of that bulwark that prevents other people from getting sick.
2: The estimation of how much that Sturgis rally cost the public Mm. $12.2 Twelve point two billion dollars, yeah. and that, really, yes, and that they could have paid
0: worth every penny. Though, each
2: person who attended, I'm,
0: I'm not going to ever say anything bad about my brothers and sisters who yeah. ride bikes,
2: but they could have <laughs> paid each one who didn't attend over twenty six thousand dollars, just not, not to go, <laughs> not to go and be even. Now, let's say if you offered a lot of them, they'd probably be like, "Hmm, I'll yeah. skip this year." Isn't
0: that interesting? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and they're not alone. I mean, there are lots of group activities going on where—nope, not alone. Where the um, uh, the possibility is certainly there.
2: So because you have to live too.
0: I worry about, you know, our one of our kids is in band, and if one of those kids has it and is blowing into a tuba, they're just going to blow virus all over. I know, over and they're the, being everyone. so
2: careful with everything else, but they're blowing in those instruments like yep. crazy. Yeah. Um,
0: well, we'll see. I haven't heard of a tuba-related uh, COVID-19 breakout, but I'm interested in uh, learning more about that, and we'll keep our eyes out for it. Well, listen, thanks always goes to Tacey. She's good, and as we say in uh, in Tennessee. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Charsky, my niece Holly, K- Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, the great Rob Bartlett, Ron Bennington. Did I mention my niece, Holly? And Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. When When I thanked Holly and my other niece, Chris, who's her sister, I caught hell, so... Uh, listen, so I gave Holly two this time. Listen to our XM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand and other times at Lewis Johnson and Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses and get some exercise. Wash your hands, wear your mask. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.
2: Goodbye, everybody.
0: Bye, taste.
2: America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life,